Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. What's up, Kyle? This guy. Ha ha ha. Clouds, birds. Mm, not all the time. Many assorted things. Not ground nesting birds, Kyle. True. You, thought, you can't forget about the ground I nesting birds. I thought you were birds. arguing that the sky wasn't up all the time. I guess it's not if you're in Australia. Kind of. It's all relative, Kyle. <laughs> Still don't understand how those people don't fall off the earth. But, I know. I've you know. been trying to wrap my head around that my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> why the toilet water goes backwards. Yeah. And why the earth is flat and why the sun is uh, rotates around the earth. Yeah. Yeah. We used to believe that. We were sure of it, you know. Yeah. For a long stretch of human history. I think it still does. The earth is in the middle and the sun goes around it. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Nailed it. <laughs> Science. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I am... More, if you like force me to give you my opinion, I think that the earth is round. I think that it's a globe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I don't know. I've never been shot off of it and looked back at the ground. It, you know, the most compelling evidence for me is that, you know, the, the shadow of, of the earth on the moon, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's good evidence. Um, but I'm more open to the idea that maybe it's not. Who, who knows, man? Yeah, so I've seen, you know, obviously like the pictures of the Earth um, from a satellite. Mm -hmm. Looks like a pancake to me, bro. does look like a pancake. You know what I mean? It could be circular and flat. Sure. Uh, it could also be, uh, those could be fake pictures. Because here's the thing. <laughs> I don't think that they necessarily are. I'm not saying that. But when I hear somebody make the case that maybe they are, and then you look at all the bullshit lies that government agencies like NASA have been caught in. It's like, who knows? Maybe they are fucking Photoshop pictures. Mm. And the thing is, they do release Photoshop pictures. So... Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, and that's not that's not uh, debatable. They 100% do that. I was listening to this... Uh, I think his name is James Corbin uh, on the Rogan's podcast. Yeah. The guy that goes on there talking about aliens. Mm -hmm. And he's been on there a few times, but he came back on there recently and I uh, just listened to it and it was pretty interesting, man. Yeah, I didn't listen to it. I, I just don't fucking like Rogan, man. Like, he just rubs me the wrong way a lot of the hmm. time. Did you hear on when he was on Friedman? No. What he said about Trump? No. That he wouldn't have his have him on his podcast because he th thinks it might help him win the election? Hmm. What a prick, man. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm diehard for Trump, but you had Bernie Sanders on. Mm-hmm. Gary Johnson. Um, well, yeah, I mean, Gary Johnson, but, like, Gary Johnson had no shot of winning, period. Well, he had, uh, what's her face on there? Um, Democrat chick? What's her name? Pretty. Oh, Military. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Damn, what's her name? 
not Kamala Harris. No. <laughs> the one who fucked Kamala Harris up. I know her name. I just can't. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on it right now. Hawaiian lady. Yeah, reasonable lady. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like if I, like, I don't know, man. If I'm Rogan, and I'm a champion of freedom, which you know, you might you make the argument. You could make the argument that that Joe's a champion of freedom. Um, that the people's will should be um, allowed to come to fruition. And if he gives somebody a platform and more people hear it and agree, mm-hmm. that's good. That's that's the will of the people being manifest. Shouldn't Joe want that? The only reason he's saying he that he wouldn't have Trump on because he wouldn't want to give him a leg up is because he's scared, just like everybody fucking else is, that saying otherwise is going to damage him. It's fucking retarded. I think I think there's been enough evidence to suggest that that's not going to happen to Joe. He's had enough uh, close calls at this point, and he's still the most like powerful person in media. Yeah, but do you think you do you think that he's not scared of it? That possibility at all? Maybe, it could all come crashing down. Honestly, I tend to believe that Joe is. Um. So there's this person, um, there's this podcast called the two bit podcast and they do this podcast. Um, they do, they have this series called friend or fed, Mm. uh, (laughs) and they've done Jordan Peterson. You should listen to that one. Um, they did Dave Smith, uh, Curtis Yarvin. Um, and most recently they did James Lindsay. Uh, do you know who James Lindsay is? Name sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, he just got kicked off of Twitter. But anyways, uh, I think they should do Rogan. But mm-hmm. I, actually, I really don't. Because I think Rogan's a fed man. And I don't I don't necessarily mean that he is an asset of the intelligence agency. But I think that the shit that he does, he might as well be. You know? Mm. Like, I, I think that um, the stuff that Rogan is doing and saying at this point benefits the exact opposite of what he, like, pretends like he's benefiting you know like joe joe talks a big game about being free speech and stuff like that but i just don't think it's as genuine as a as i did at one point and i think it was at one point um i think that joe used to be pretty pretty based yeah but uh, i just think that joe's basically a liberal who likes guns you know likes (laughs) guns and hunting yeah well that's that's true um joe argues about uh, economics in strange ways and contradictory ways and uh, you know I, I've gone back and forth on on that uh, as well because I don't know whether Joe's been compromised in one way or, or another and I don't mean any conspiracy by it I just mean you know cha- doing what he said he would never do and that is to change how he does his podcast yeah. to be politically more palatable or something like that um, he says that he has never done that and would never do that but you can see that you can see the, the oh, evidence yeah. of that. You know, go back and listen to the podcast when it was actually fun. Uh, you know, it's different. So, what, what did the what did that Jordan Peterson um, friend or foe thing? How, how I don't it remember. It's been a while since I listened to it, but um, I think the I think most people. I think maybe it was kind of split. Some people said because it's generally like a roundtable thing. There's a bunch of people on, um, and. They all take, you know, they defend their position, friend mm. or fed. Mm. Uh, the guy who hosts the show, Jason, well, there's two guys who host it, but uh, one of the guys, Jason, he was strongly on the fed side, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so listen, man, it's been two weeks since we got 
together. You guys don't know that. You guys, it's a secret, but it's not a secret. <laughs> we just we just planted episodes that recorded in advance so that none of you fucks would be suspicious or the wiser. Yeah, exactly. But meanwhile, I was on vacation with the family yeah. this weekend. My sister visited from from out of state. We went and saw a concert together. Who'd you go see? You son of a bitch. <laughs> we went to go see uh, Jenna's favorite band when we were growing up, Hanson. Not he, just any boy band, but like like the... <laughs> how would you describe Hanson, man? Like, they were a boy band in the early days, but they... sure. They played instruments, so that's, a, that's it, actually a, a tick in their column. That's true. That's true. Um... But they certainly weren't as famous as, you know, the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or any of those sure, other fucking people. Sure. And they did this little, like, uh, like indie gig. And they and they remind me of, like, a... I, I kind of want to say, like, a gospel band, but not. What I mean is, like, a family band. Well, they are and a family band. They are a family band. Yeah. And, a, and a, like, a very conservative family band. And when they get up there playing music, it's reminded me of like being at like a contemporary church service where the music's kind of good. I'm not going to lie. That sounds awful. <laughs> uh, it wasn't as bad as you think, but I'll tell you what, man, I never seen so many 30 year old bitches in one place in my whole life, man. Yeah. Just 30 year old women as far as the eye can see. And, uh, most of them were sitting down the whole time and didn't seem into it. And there's just a couple of people, my sister included, just rocking their fucking face off yeah. to Hanson. And uh, here's the thing, man. Um, when when my sister listened to Hanson, you know this. Uh, we were like middle school age, maybe like the early part of high school, and that was it. Um, what that means is all the music they produced since, you know, 2000. I don't know it. She doesn't know it. That that's not entirely true because they did have a song called "Penny and Me" that I fucking actually do like. <laughs> um, anyway, but that's it. That's it. Yeah. So when. Um, when we went there, uh, I didn't know like 90% of the songs. And you would think that they would close. What do you think they would close with? Mbop. You would think, right? I would I would If I was them, I would open, play it in the middle, and close with Mbop. It's funny you say that because I made a similar joke. I was like, I asked my sister, do you think they're going to open with it? Or do you think they're going to close with it? And she was like, I don't know. I was like, what if they did both? What yeah. if they opened and closed with it? Yeah, and you know what? People would be thrilled. Fucking A. Um, I, bands do that a lot like they'll start playing a song then they'll start playing another song and maybe a few other songs and then they reprise that original song and it's always like electric man it's like yes <laughs> you know it's just yeah, you super exciting that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they had an opener band that you might you might actually like um, I'm, I'm going to struggle to remember the name but they're a band from uh, Nashville so it's like a whole bunch of hipsters okay. you know wearing like <laughs> Wearing like fucking kerchiefs and like uh, like felt hats and like cowboy boots and shit. Sounds super gay. Man, it was kind of like bluegrassy, kind of like okay. that, kind of like that style, that that Nashville rock. And I told Jenna, I was like, you know, I, I've been to Nashville a couple times. It's like if you go to if you go to that downtown Nashville and you walk around, this band is in every single bar. Like yeah, yeah. every single bar you go to has live music. It's that band. Clone copies. Clone copies. But they weren't bad. They were called like. Um, Myers, Mac, like four names. Myers, sure. Mac, something or other. Uh, but it's just like the fiddle and like you know some some of that shit. It was it was all right. Maybe maybe better actually than Hanson. And in fact, um, one of the show one of the songs that Hanson played, uh, what the guitarist from the first band came out and like helped out. Yeah. And 
made a difference, man. Yeah. But the, all those dudes play their, play instruments, yeah. um, and they've been playing instruments since time. they were kids, you yeah. know. And you can't knock that. Those guys are no, talented. Right. Absolutely. Uh, the bartender I talked to, um, she said that uh, before the show, um, Taylor Hansen, which is the which was the, the handsome one, the one that all the girls liked back in the day, he was wandering around the venue, and she was like, "Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Who is this guy walking around the venue?" Um, yeah, it was like a heartthrob, 19, circa 1998, bitch. Now just wandering around the House of Blues. Yeah. And his hair was uh, dyed blonde on top. And I've I got seen, a real problem with that, man. I've seen two other two other people. <laughs> I just held up three fingers. I've seen two other people in pop culture lately with frosted tips. Yeah. Like Justin Timberlake. Who, who, who else? Can you remember? No. No? One of them... Shit, I can't remember. But two times recently, I've seen them. I've seen some people recently in real life who have, like, I have let, I, I don't really have a problem when women dye their hair, but I, I just, I don't know, man. I'm, I guess I'm just becoming like an old man. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Why do you have dye in your hair right now? So for me, it doesn't like rub me the, the wrong way if I see like a punker with red hair. Um, yeah, I don't even like that. I think it's like. But anyway, well, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's trying too hard and all that, but mm-hmm. they got to figure that out for themselves. Sure. But, you know, what I don't like about it is um, it's not just the frosted tips. It's the fact that you're seeing them coming back, mm-hmm. but you're also seeing like all this terrible fashion from when we were kids coming back. Like uh, Jinko jeans? Like baggy jeans. Oh, really? I, especially on girls. Just joking. Dude, what in the fuck? Girls have been fucking with us so hard. With the yoga pants? With the yoga not? pants. And, and now they're all like, of a sudden, boom, Jinkos. Now, yeah, it's like, what happened to your I'm ass? I'm a fan of that, actually. I think a uh, little modesty would do our nation well. Mm, you say that, but fuck directly off. I, <laughs> I like them. But the point is, I've gotten used to them. Maybe I would have had... It's funny, because I don't th- know that I had objections when, they, when it first became a fashion statement, but I was titillated i was like "Ooh, yeah what is this um, <laughs> but uh but yeah we got used to seeing everybody's butt and uh and legs and and all the bits and pieces um really really easily and now it's like it's like high-waisted jeans like bell bottoms baggy pants and uh but it's but it's more than that but the jeans and the shoes especially with girls I'm walking around. And I'm like, "What are you fucking doing? Did your mom, did your mom and dad not tell you this style sucks? It sucked. It sucked in 1999. It sucks now. What are you doing?" But no. But there is something about the modesty coming back that I don't hate, though. Yeah. You know. But I just got used to the tight pants, man. I don't know what to say. You just got used to them. It's not used to not seeing these butts around. I know. I know. <laughs> That's funny. It's like what, I got to imagine it now, and I got to now I got to remember how to imagine shit. You ever hear? Do you remember? I think her name was. It was some kind of like reporter lady who was on Rogan back in the day, mm. um, and she said that she was in Saudi Arabia and she was wearing, you know, just regular Western garb, mm-hmm. and um, like Muslim dudes were like whacking off in the street, like you know, because oh she wasn't wearing God. the uh, you know the the giddy up that can they you, do. Can you imagine? It's fucked up, man. Like that, it, it raises a question. Like, is it better? To have a hypersexualized culture like we have, where and like even like this is where it gets weird because I don't never been to Europe, man. But I, but like from movies and from uh, from movies basically, yeah. I have this opinion that the Europeans don't have the um, hangups, sexual hangups that come from our you know pil- pilgrim ancestors. So they just, so they just uh, you know are are fine being naked in front of each other, like in the sauna. 
just naked men and women around each other. Um, you know, like, I, I don't know, at the nude beach, like, that's fine. Like, that's fine. There's nude beaches in Europe and people are just okay being naked and, and around each other. And it's like, that seems way more liberal and accepting than what than this hypersexualized American culture where, where, you know, skimpy bathing suits and, you know, tight pants and all that. Um, I don't know where I'm, exactly where I'm going with this, but the question is, do you think, do you think, it's like, is it hypersexualized in, in Europe or are they desensitized to it? Is it, am I making up this? I think maybe it's like a, there's an element of both that it is more sexual and because it's more sexual, they're desensitized mm -hmm. to it. See, I think it's like, like the breastfeeding argument. Some people think it's weird for a woman to pull her breast down in public and feed her Those baby. Those people are fucking retarded. But I feel like that's the European mindset is like, um, it's natural. And human bodies are human bodies and fucking, why are you being weird about this? Yeah. You know? Why are you making this sexual? We're just walking around naked on the beach enjoying ourselves. Why are you making this sexual, American? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I, so, I mean, nude beaches are a little different than say uh gay pride parades you know where they're like literally banging in the streets you know that's uh, a bit much are they are they oh yeah dude <laughs> like you you haven't watched any of this uh i've all, I, this I've, footage i've only seen like the what what they put on the news you know um oh, okay. which is like which is like a thousand people marching down the street in san francisco the guy in front looks really happy he's got a strange hat on no shirt he's wearing sunglasses he's got his arms up he seems very happy to be gay it's a it's a great day he's got lots of support behind him and that's gay pride i've never seen anything more you know oh yeah there's <clears throat> there's a lot more going on They're just sucking each other's dicks and yeah i mean you know there's not, it's not like that's happening. It's not like an orgy in the streets, although I don't doubt that that probably happens too. I mean, you get a, a bunch of people who want to fuck each other and they're like naked, you know, stuff's going to go down. That's true. Yeah, that's true because I, I noticed that when I went to Kalahari, when I, when I took the, you know, the family to the, to the swim park, yeah, um, I was walking around in shorts, right? My, my board shorts with no drawers on. Just dick and balls and board shorts. And I'm walking around and everybody around me is wearing bikinis. You know? Everyone's naked, half naked. And after two days of that, I was like, I'm, I'm like horny. What's going on? And it's like there's no reason for it. But I've been like slowly, you know, like like a slow motion titillation over, over a three day period looking at, looking at, you know, a bunch of half naked people. Yeah. I'm not going to pull, I'm not going to pull it out like a, like what you're describing in Saudi Arabia and beat one off. But the question is, is it, is it better to have a hypersexualized culture where, where you're never going to see somebody react like what you described happening in Saudi Arabia? Or is it better to be so buttoned up that people are, never confronted with it and then they can't control themselves i'll take the buttoned up personally yeah. because i mean i think like that thing happened with that lady in saudi arabia but it was like one guy you oh, know oh, okay um, well there's that one guy on the bus on the subway yeah, in new york sure, you know exactly um and, but then you like go to a gay pride parade and you've got you know people twerking in front of children like they bring children to these parades yeah, yeah, it's the people bringing children that are to blame yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, sure, I, I agree with that. Uh, but there's all there's there's blame to go around because the people who are twerking they want children there. They it's like they think it's a you know we should be 
I mean, have you have you not been paying attention to the G R O O M E R situation? Um, yeah, not deeply. You're not supposed to say that word. Mm, that's weird. Because it'll get you kicked off of things. Mm, that's weird. Yeah. Um, um, but anyways, um, these people want kids around. They want them to be exposed to this stuff and so that it becomes normalized to them. And when you call them G-R-O-O-M-E-R, that's like somehow bad. But it's like you're, that's what you're admitting to doing. You just said that you want them exposed to this stuff so that it becomes normalized to them. That's G-R-O-O-M-I-N-G. Yeah, but but exposing somebody to homosexual individuals mm. as existing in the world is so fucking different from putting a child in a in a in the a rompous gay pride parade where you know there's inappropriate shit i mean there is that they couldn't be more different night and day man yeah. i mean it's like uh like, the what, do you, what do you want to accomplish by by parading your six-year-old boy or girl around with a bunch of a bunch of you know half naked dudes dancing around and you don't understand what the fuck's going on. Why are why are all these guys so happy and where are where are all the bitches? You know, like I don't know, man. I don't know either. Um, but just imagine like taking a kid to a strip club. Like, what is the difference between that gay pride parade and taking a kid to a titty bar? If if the gay pride parade activities become lewd, lewd. Like, I don't know how likely that is. I'm not I'm not in the know. So is this just like you know, it happens here and there, and people make a big fuss about it or whatever. I don't know. But but if it gets lewd to the level of a strip club, then I don't know what the difference is either. Yeah, I don't... I mean, if lewd to the level of a strip club is people being, like, largely naked and dancing, then that's happening pretty fucking frequently at the Pride Parades. Mm. Um, that's, like, the thing. That's, like, the entire point of the thing at this point. Um but one thing you said is that exposing kids to, like, homosexual people mm -hmm. is not the same as, uh, you know, the lewd activity at a pride parade. Sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's not the same. But I do think that if I had a kid and there was a gay person and they were like telling my kid that they were gay I would be like what the fuck are you doing yeah absolutely don't fucking talk to my kid about your sexual preferences don't try to normalize your sexual preferences to a child no absolutely how about this one you're walking down the street uh, a couple of gay guys are walking down the street holding hands sure and you're walking there with your kid and the gay the gay guys they look over at each other romantically and they just kiss each other on the lips and your small child sees in an ordinary situation a non-sexual ordinary act that would happen between heterosexual people nobody would say a word about it but you your kid has just seen for the first time two people of the same sex doing that completely innocuous but maybe maybe it raises questions but it but what it does do is it presents that image that it's that two men or two women might be in this sort of romantic rela relationship. I don't know that it would even register with a kid other than subconsciously. But do you have a problem with that? Just seeing... Do I have a problem with it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, just to be perfectly honest with you, um, I wish they wouldn't. Uh, but I also don't... That is not a line that I'm willing to cross to be like, I I'm going to do something about it. Oh, of course, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that... There's some negative consequence of uh, a child just seeing that, like, like 
is something damaging or or something like do you think that normalizing it becoming familiar with it would makes would make a child more likely to explore that i don't know like where, where's the danger um i just think that it's uh i mean basically i'm coming at it from the point that i think it's a sin you know like i think that it's um I don't think it's the intended way that we are supposed to be living. And yeah, I think it introdu- you're introducing that. I-, I don't know that there's much difference between two men kissing in public and two men having that conversation with a child. You know, it's like you're still introducing it to them. Mm. You're still, uh, I do, I mean, I, I, it's less... I don't know, invasive, I guess. I think that having that conversation with a child, I think you're a real fucking creep. And if it's my kid, I might put hands on you, to be honest with you. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, things might not go well for you. Um, As far as, like, two gay guys kissing in public, I'm not thrilled about it, to be perfectly honest with you. But, um, you know. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, uh... Like I like I guess my libertarian background makes For, um, makes me uh, makes me unwilling to take away anybody's freedoms to protect yeah somebody else. However, anytime children get brought into the picture, it definitely changes the dynamic of those conversations. And I noticed that when it came to the trans issue in the beginning, I thought, "Fucking let crazy people do what they want." Let gay people do what they want, you know. And I, and I framed it that way too. It's like, you know, these people are either homosexual, they have body dysmorphia, and they're either homo, homosexual or heterosexual, um, or something. They're, and maybe they have some real mental problem beyond that. But these people are unusual, and uh, they exist, and that's that's okay. People, adults can do whatever they want, and that's fine. But the moment we started hearing about kids transitioning and doctors giving kids hormones and giving kids surgeries and I'm, and that's where I, I, my entire opinion changed i'm like no sure fucking no mm-hmm. and that's exactly i see that that sort of thing happening on this other side of the table when we're talking about talking about homosexuality yeah so i i'm with you up to a certain point like i don't i'm not like advocating for throwing gay people off of roofs or anything like that <laughs> Um, but I do think that, like you said, adults should be able to do what they want. You know, like uh, the trans people, if you want to be, if you want to chop your cock off, whatever, you you have the right to do that. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, um, but I do have some issues with it. Um, I do think that if you say it's okay for you to do it if you want, that that is in some way like tacitly giving it approval. Um, you know, it's like, uh, it, it's normalizing it in a way, you know, even if you, even if you're not saying it's good and you should do it, it is still kind of normalizing it. It's putting it out there. It's allowing it to be, um, you know, a part of the culture. And I don't think, I just don't think that, uh, so I, like I said, I'm not, I don't think we should be throwing gay and trans people off of roofs, but I think that it should be fine for me to say that's bad. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, I think that I keep losing, I keep losing my thread. Um, oh, I think that having freedom to do what you want. And if that means that to, you want to identify as trans and you want to live a certain way, um, you should be able to do that. Mm. What you can't do 
is force it on other people. And that's what that's what the culture is trying to do right now. And I don't even know what I mean when I say the culture. But you know what I mean? It's like it's not just that it's okay for people to live in unusual ways and to make up names for themselves and pretend to be something that's never existed before. Um, that's fine. Perfectly mm-hmm. fine. But the moment you turn around and say, but everybody else has to acknowledge it. Everybody else has to change their ways to accommodate me. No. Are yeah. you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I have to. You know what, man? I went to a restaurant yesterday. And the wait, the not the waitress, the the lady that set us, whatever you call that person, um, hostess. The host? Yeah, yeah. It was a. I don't even know how to talk. That's this is my point. Yeah. It was a girl with short hair and masculine clothes. And for the first time, I encountered someone like this in a. And I don't, I don't even know if they were trans, but I had the suspicion that maybe they were, and I didn't know because of the way they looked. You know, <laughs> whatever. I'm not going to ask somebody what their pronouns are. No. Because I was born in 1985, dude. I'm not doing that. But I also couldn't figure out how to how to speak to the hostess. Yeah. I couldn't figure out what words to use. And now what's happened is I'm in the situation where I'm like unable to act socially in the world because these new rules have been imposed on me and I'm afraid to hurt somebody's feelings. And I can't even speak a sentence because I can't use she. Yeah. And I like I don't know if you're a they or a zero or what, and it's fucking weird and unnecessary, and it was so fucking weird, man. That is weird. That I had this encounter where, in order to be courteous and kind and polite, like I am in general to everybody else, I'm like stumbling over myself, and that's not okay. That's what I mean. It's being forced. That kind of shit is being forced on everybody, <clears throat> and you know what? It's and the fact that if I were to misgender somebody and they were sensitive about it, that that even if there's no consequences beyond hurting their feelings, I have to live with that shit. And I'm a sensitive dude, man. Yeah. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah. It's just fucked, man. It's yeah, totally yeah. fucked. And, and when you consider that these trans uh, people that, that identify as trans are such a small percentage of the population. And you're walking on eggshells for them. The whole the whole society has has been forced to comply with this. And that is that is not freedom. Mm-hmm. That is an encroachment of everybody's freedom. And um, that's what I have a problem with, man. Yep, I have a problem with that, too. Uh, I, I think that you maybe even take it one step further than I would, though. And it's not a big step, but um, you said that with the trans people and whatnot, and I extend that, I, I mean, just putting it out there, I extend this to gay people. I extend it to, um, you know, like, People who are, uh, like, openly, lewdly sexual, even if they're straight, you know, whatever. Um, I don't... You said it's fine, you know? Uh, You can do it, and, you know, we're not going to punish you. Um, But I I would take it uh, one step further and at least say, you can do it, but I think it's bad and wrong, and, you know, uh, and not... And you should be able to say that. Yeah. And you can't. And that's a problem. Well, you can. You can, but not without tremendous social consequences. I think that people should. I think that we need to knock it off. Oh, we absolutely need to knock it off. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, you don't even have to agree. You know, you can think that it is, you know, fine. You know, it's like, oh, do what you want. Do do what you want to do as long as you're not hurting anyone else. Um, 
And I, I guess that is how I feel in a certain extent, but uh, to a certain extent. But I also am going to go that extra level and be like, I don't think you should. I think you are making a mistake. I think you are mentally ill mm-hmm. uh, in the case of trans people. Uh, and in terms of gay people, I think that you are, um, you know, a slave to your vices, uh, a slave to your passions, your sexual passions. Mm. Uh, and I mean, to be... You know, I guess that's a, this is a controversial thing, but that's pretty much what I think homosexuality is at this point. It's that, and maybe there's a level of mental illness to it, um, and it, I think a lot of it has to do, particularly with lesbians, has to do with them being molested when they were children yeah. or having bad things happen to them when they're there's, children. There's definitely a, a common thread uh, yeah. that I've noticed in, in that way. So you said a couple of things that per- perked my ears up. You said about allowing you use that word like i don't know if i will allow the you know the culture to change i'm not going to stand by or allow you know and that's a strange word to say because it's like you don't have any role in allowing someone to do what they want to do it's not your fucking role man you don't what you want doesn't matter squat if i want to do something you know and i'm not harming anyone else i can do whatever i want and I'm, i'm behind that but this is where it gets weird you don't have a role in somebody's personal individual behavior but if their personal individual behavior is influencing the culture well then it does impact you then you do then you do have an argument to say listen i'm part of this culture too so do i want to allow the change that you're pushing and you have every fucking right just as much as any trans person or activist every fucking right to say i will not allow the culture to, to go that way um, now, what you backing that statement up is is slippery, and I don't know what you know what you can do to to disallow it or to push back. Well, but. you know what you don't do is walk on eggshells. That's true. Yeah, that, that's that's true, man. Dude, I know you saw it. I'm sure you saw it. But that um, what is the guy's name? Gets or something? Senator? Oh, Matt Gates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gates. Yeah, yeah. That that little clip that came out not long ago where the lady was interviewing him. Do you think these people at the abortion rallies are fat and ugly? He says, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, well, what what would you say to people who who would say that that, that that's uh, sexist and homophobic or whatever, or or that might take offense? Be offended. Yeah. Fucking A, man. Of course. Of course. It's not any more difficult than that. It's real simple. (laughs) If you believe something that's offensive, that's, that's offended somebody else. Be offended. Be that's, that's, that's what you do. Good that's perfectly you. fine. You don't have to throw someone in jail. You don't have to bitch. You don't have to try to get them fired. You don't have to, you know, all the nonsense, you know. And you know what? All that shit coming from people who say, who talk about microaggressions and violence, right? Words are violence. Those people? Yeah. Motherfucker. The hypocrisy has no end, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, if I call, you know... If I'm at the restaurant you were at and I call that confused person, she, you know, ma'am, can you sit us at a table? She fucking melts down and that's violence. But if she calls my job and tries to get me fired, you know, which has a much more, a way bigger impact on my life than me calling you mm. fucking ma'am, um, you know, which one of those is closer to violence? Mm. Oh, absolutely. I go a step further. If I if I'm in that re- restaurant and I say, "Excuse me, ma'am," and I misgendered that person, and they get offended by it, and they turn around and they say, it, "Pardon me," you know, you you know, whatever, whatever. I'm offended, and you know, um, here's my pronouns, and you know, blah 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 blah. I'll tell you what, the ridicule you just gave me 
sounds a lot like the same violence you just supposed I said yeah, to yeah. you by calling you ma'am. I'm I, that's that's violence. You know, if words are violence and if misgendering somebody accidentally is violence, then turning around and giving me a hard time about it is violence. That's the hypocrisy, man. Uh, there's the hypocrisy abounds. Just swimming in it, yeah. you know. Yep. But I don't know, man. I don't know what else to say about it. Words aren't violence. Ideas aren't violence. Um, you know, and people need people need to. I don't know, man. Toughen up. Take a Sack take a, up. People itches. can't take a joke. They can't take a punch. They can't take you know uh, a, a, a blow to their ego. I mean, we are we are in trouble. We're yeah. in we're in trouble. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. If the barbarians come a knocking, we are in trouble, man. Who are the barbarians? Are, are, is Russia the barbarians? Yeah, I don't. I don't know enough about Russia, but my like image is that there's some hard people. Well, listen, man, they are hard people, and they are backwards in terms of in terms. Of, you, like you, Russia was one of the last places that became Christian in the European world. Russia yeah. was one of the last places to adopt it. They kept they kept their pagan um, beliefs way way longer than the rest of Europe. Yeah, and uh, they were late to the Industrial Revolution. They were the, one of the last countries, you know. So they're they're like that. They're I don't know if they still are, but that's the kind of shit that I remember hearing. Mm-hmm. And it makes me and I like remember hearing um, people say that the Russian military is big and powerful, but if you look at their shit, it's like from 1988. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, we got missiles and tanks and shit, but it's, yeah, it's like from from the fucking Desert Storm era, you know? Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know if that's if that's true or not, but that's just the picture that I have in my head. I think there's got to be some level of truth to it. I, I think um, it's probably not as bad as like some rah-rah America types would want you to think, but I think there's got to be some level of truth to it. And I do wonder... You know, the political situation that they've got going on over there, it's kind of, you know, it's an oligarchy. There's a, a, you know, a a handful of extremely powerful people and they just kind of make the decisions. A lot like here, but we've got window dressing on it over here. Yeah, yep. Um, uh, And I just wonder, like, if they wanted Russia to be more competitive on the world stage, like, couldn't those elites, those oligarchs, do things to make that happen, and why don't they? If they, because I, I would only suppose if they had to sacrifice something personally uh, for the good of Mother Russia. Well, those. Oh, I don't know. That, I'm not saying that it would be for the good of Mother Russia necessarily, mm-hmm. um, but I just feel like um, Russia, with as big as it is, and the population that it has, and the resources that it has, um, could be more of a player on the world stage than it is. And I just don't really understand why it's not. It's a good question. Yeah. I don't know what... I don't think it should be, necessarily. And not probably not for the reasons that a lot of people are like, Russia bad. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. Um, but, yeah. It, just, it doesn't seem like a safe place to visit. Yeah, I've heard that before. I've also heard contrary to that, too, though. That they're like... I've heard that they can be very like welcoming and yeah, you know, good with tourists. I'm sure, but I mean, I've definitely heard the I've heard the opposite of that. That it's like it's scary. Just, yeah, it was just it's not the people that are scary. It's the government that's scary. Sure, you know, I it's mean, like, you look at like what's going on with that Brit- Brittany Griner. Terrible man. Yeah, terrible. Uh, yeah, it is. Don't get me wrong. It's bad, but also 
if I go to Russia, I'm probably not going to bring weed with me. Like, no, I definitely wouldn't. It's like, I, I, it's bad. Yes, it's bad. We've got a ton of people in, like, that's the thing with this, the Brittany Griner thing. They're, people are trotting that out right now. Like, oh, Putin's so bad. How many people are in prison for weed here? That's a great point. And, then, and you're like all bent out of shape about it because it, it's Putin. Sorry, I just like spit right. at you. That's right. Um, but yeah, I, I that's that's a great point, man. Our, our prisons are full of nonviolent drug offenders, and then we're gonna pretend like when Russia does it, uh, it there's we have some kind of a problem with it. Yeah. But the thing is, man, that chick had a vape cartridge. Yeah. All right. And they gave her nine years of prison in a penal colony. To me, it's like if you come to somebody's country, you're a guest. And that means something. It should. It always has historically. You have some protections, you know? You're a guest in our country. That means you should be on your best behavior. But it also means if you break the rules, especially if you're a foreigner and don't understand the rules, which you fucking don't, um, you know, maybe you should have brushed up on it. But if you didn't, yeah. you break the rules, you should be. You should say, look, you fucked up, get the fuck out of our country. You made a mistake, get the fuck out of our country. You don't say, we're going to keep you here for nine years. And put you in a penal colony. And by the way, that's gonna that's gonna ramp up tensions between the United States and Russia. It's so stupid. It's not worth it. Yeah, I I mean I think that because she's a celebrity, there's an element of um, you know it's a, like a political move. WNBA man, you gonna call her a celebrity? Well, she's more well known than you are. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a podcast, so we might be. Uh, Does Brittany Griner have a website? The two tongues podcast.com, you guys. Does Brittany Griner have a website? I would assume that she probably does. She might. But but I don't know it. I do know the two tongues podcast.com, though. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I uh, basically, I, I just think that uh, we're getting all bent out of shape about everything Putin does, you know? Like yeah. Putin does something and we got to throw our hands in the air. Yeah. Just kind of all across the board. Like, Putin ate breakfast this morning? No! <laughs> <clears throat> uh, okay, I gotta ask you a question. What's up? So we're talking some pretty conservative religious stuff about the gays and the trans <laughs> transgender people a second ago. So uh, while we were on our hiatus, you were supposed to have gone to an Orthodox Christ Christian church service, mm -hmm. and uh, you were interested in that. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what it was like. Did it meet your expectations? And... Were you disappointed in any particular way? Did it pull you further into that orthodox, uh, you know, space, or are you uh, less interested? Tell me about it, man. I didn't go. No, I'm just joking. I did. Um, yeah, I went. Um, it was an experience. That's yeah. for sure. I want, I want everyone to know when Kyle said an experience, his eyes got real big. In he, a good way. Oh. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was really cool. Um, I didn't, you said, did it meet my expectations? I really didn't have many expectations. Um, I expected it to be different and yep. that, and it, it met my expectations in that sense. It was very different. Um, way different than any church service I've ever been to ever. Really? And I've been, you know, I was raised in Protestant churches, evangelical churches. Um, I've been to Catholic services, uh, I've never been to like any Jehovah's Witness, Mormon type anything, but, um, you know, so, uh, basically the Protestant and the Catholic, I have experience with both of those. This was not like 
if it was so far removed from the Protestant thing, um, just like it was like alien. Right. Um, there were aspects of it that are, you know, more close to Catholicism, but pretty different. I mean, I'm not Catholic and I've never been Catholic. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I mean, maybe a, a Catholic person could be like, oh, there's, there's, you know, similarities and differences, but, um, well, I got a thousand questions, but I don't want to like, no, uh, go whatever. So describe to me what it, what the church was like. Was it like a cathedral type situation? Stained glass? What was it? What was, what was so, going on? Um, on the outside, it's, not a huge church, you know, but it, I mean, it's decent sized. It's got like the uh, onion domes, you know, it's yeah. a Russian Orthodox church. Um, so I go to it and I walk into the building and immediately it's beautiful. So, sorry to stop your flow. It's like those, um, the domes, like those Byzantine like looking domes. Yeah. Like round. Yeah. Up on, up on top. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so it's got those. It's got basic, I think just one of those. Um, but I, so I walk into the church and as I'm going up to the church, I see this guy and uh, he, you know, there's like steps that lead up to the door and he stops at the foot of the steps and, you know, cross makes the sign of the cross, uh, then goes up the steps and walks into the building. So I, uh, I go, I wait till he's in there. Uh, I don't want to seem like I'm following him. I don't know. It's just very weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anybody at this church. It's yeah. not like I'm going with a friend or something, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I'm just a stranger who shows up at this church and it's an ethnic church too. And I'm not Russian. Yeah. Um, you went with your lady, right? No, she was, she had to work that oh, day. So, so I was by myself. By yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, so I, I go, I walk in and did you do the sign of the cross before you went in. I did. Nice. All right. <laughs> uh, so I, they, they're making the sign of the cross, like during the actual liturgy, the, the service and the chanting and whatnot, they're doing it pretty frequently. And I, I was doing it when they did it, but eventually I just stopped because like, I don't know what it means. Like I don't, it's in Russian, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, so I was like, I don't understand why I'm doing it. So I just didn't do it. Mm. Um, but anyways, I walk in and uh, when I walk in, there's a guy, there's an old man like to the right of me in like a, I don't know, a little a window and he's selling candles that you can, you know, light and put in the candle holders mm -hmm. uh, in the, in the sanctuary. I don't know if that's what they call it or not. Mm -hmm. But anyways, uh, in, in the main room, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I walk up to him and I was like, hey, hello, I've never been to an Orthodox church before. Um, I just, you know, I just want to be respectful. I don't want to do anything like oh. that's going to offend anyone Yeah. because, um, you know, people take religion seriously and I, I, I know that to be a fact generally, but then having watched this church service these people in in a very good way i'm not disparaging them at all these people take it seriously mm. man there is an uh a level of taking it seriously that i've never seen in a church before really um so, so yeah let's not go too far yeah, ahead yeah. did the did the man tell you anything you shouldn't do or should do so yeah he walks i mean he's like behind this window and there's this main door to the cathedral in front of me and he's like, let's go in here. And he goes out another door and meets me in the cathedral. And he says, uh, yeah, you can come in here. Uh, there, you know, you just, okay. So first thing, before I even get to that, what's the, you going into a, 
Protestant church or a Catholic church, what is something that you're always going to see? Pretty much always going to see. Pews. Yeah. Benches. Sure. No pews. What? Yeah. No pews? They stand the, the whole entire time. time. It's, like a, it's like standing room? So there's benches. There's like very like simple wooden benches around the perimeter oh, of the weird. building. It's like and for if, old people and exactly. stuff. Yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, otherwise you're standing. Mm. Um, so that struck me. I was like, where are the pews? <laughs> um, but so this guy comes in and he says... Uh, you know, you can you can go up here. You can kiss the, this like main icon, um, and this side over here is for the men. This side over here is for the women. Mm. There's like a carpet that goes down the middle of the thing of the uh, cathedral, and the right side is for the men. The left side is for the women. <coughs> Excuse me. They didn't hold to that 100. percent There were a, a handful of women on the men's side feminists there were no men on the women's side so those were the, orth- the orthodox feminists that came over I guess to you so, yeah yeah um were, were they trans orthodox people maybe <laughs> all right go ahead um they fr- from what i understand particularly the russian orthodox church hold is, on wait sorry just occurred to me that the women were the only ones breaking the rules and then i thought of eve yeah. I'm like bitches man always breaking the rules you didn't see one guy break the rules i don't think that um I don't know. There must be some, like, they all pretty much obeyed the rules. That that I, I don't even know if I would call it a rule so much as a, you know, just like a tradition. Um, Have you ever been to any of those old, like, church buildings, like uh, like museum kind of things where they preserve them? And when you go into them, it's exactly like you described where uh, one side is for the men and one side is for the women? No. I have no idea what you're even talking oh, about. Oh, man. So I, I was in Tennessee one time, and there's this whole community there called uh, something Cove. I can't remember. This old community that they preserved. and You can go visit all the houses and the farms, but it's like nobody lives there. It's just like this historical farm uh, of a community. And one of the – there's a few, a few churches, but one of them I remember was, was structured like that. And there was a door for the women and a door for the men, mm-hmm. and you separate, and you, they would be like that. So there's definitely something about that. Um, element of the Orthodox Church that you can see even in our own history, in our own you know religious traditions history. That's how it once was. Yeah. So that's interesting. That is know? interesting. Um, what was I saying? Uh, you were describing this people standing up and and the, the being separated uh, by men and women with carpet in between. Yeah. Uh, what was next? Um, okay, so. The guy says, uh, you, you know, the, we got these benches. You can sit um, for now uh, until the service starts. After that, you stand. Um, so I go back there, and I'm sitting, and I'm just watching these people kind of filing in. Um, and when I said that these people take it seriously more yeah. than anything, this is what I'm talking yeah. about. As these people come in, there are the, – okay, so first of all, this church is beautiful. Like, it's decorated – um, in kind of, I don't know how many Orthodox churches you've seen, like yeah. pictures of, but there's paintings, icons everywhere, oh. all, all on, the, on the walls. There's like pedestals throughout the church that have paintings on them. And these people are going around and they're crossing themselves and they're like, you know, bowing in front of the pictures and they're mm. kissing the pictures. Oh, wow. Um, and I've just never seen anything like that before. Yeah, me either. Um, 
like the level of respect and um, I don't know, just uh, the reverence that they have. It, it was not like anything I've ever seen in church before. Mm. Um, I'm getting ready to go to church today to my family's church and nothing like that will be happening. Um, How do you feel about that in terms of like, well, like the argument might be made that they're, that they're idols, that they're graven images, that they're, you know what I mean? Like there's an argument that can be made that exactly what you're, I think, go ahead. Exactly what you're admiring is counter to the religion. Yeah, I think that that is uninformed. You know, I don't think that the, these people understand how Orthodox people feel about saints and, you know, things like that. Um, they're not worshiping these people. They have respect for these people. Mm -hmm. um, they, it's like, if you, if there was, a, you know, the President of the United States, let's say, and you knew this guy who was super close to the president of the United States. Uh, and you pray and you like talk to that guy like, hey, can you get in that guy's yeah. ear for me? I'll get you, man. Um, yeah, it's like it's like that kind of a relationship with the saints to God. It's like you are closer to God than I am. You know, I, I'll pray to God. But can you, you know, like help me out with this? Mm. You know, um, so there's to my knowledge, um, and I don't understand why the people who I've listened to about orthodoxy uh, would be lying about it. They don't worship these the 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 saints and the church fathers. Uh, it's it's a they're reverent to them. They have respect for them, but it's not an it's not a case of worshiping. So I'd love to dig into that deeper, but I I want to hear more about the church. But I do want to say there was a book. I want to say it maybe was like the Vampire Armada. Maybe mm. there was a book that I was reading, an Anne Rice book, just fiction. But you know how she she was pretty good about the historical because all of her vampire characters are from different times and different places. And Armand was from, um, I think, I think Russia, or something like that, because he I was he, he was involved with the Orthodox Church. Oh really? And, I don't and, remember that and at he all. Painted icons. Oh really? Yeah. And man, uh, it's been a long time. I don't remember that yeah, at all. Yeah. And they said in the in the book that um, in the early in the early days of uh, the church, when people weren't literate, um, one of the ways that they would be able to tell the stories and connect to the stories. What were the were the pictures? Which is why, if you look at the old the old cathedrals, like the stained glass pictures, it's like you know filled with symbols of the of the uh, you know the uh, the gospel writers, and, and like it's just packed packed full of symbols. So you can look at the image and you can read a whole story in it. Mm -hmm. And so the purpose of having um, icons in Orthodox Church was originally to give people who couldn't read access to the images and the stories in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's good. Yeah. Um, I think it's real for all kinds of reasons. I think that's good, but I still wonder, I still wonder how you justify that against the no graven images stuff. I just don't understand how it's a graven image. You're not, if you're not worshiping it, if all you're doing is having respect for it. Uh, and you know, I just, yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand how that's a graven image. Well, it's like, and if, in my mind, a, like a Protestant person who is hung up on that, you just are, you're like willfully not understanding these people's traditions, um, which is, I guess you don't have to, you don't 
I think the distinction is you're not supposed to make a graven image of God, and they're making graven images of saints and Jesus and Mary and stuff. That's not the same thing exactly. So th- that's probably all the explanation you what need. What makes a, an image graven? Just, just, just created. A graven image could be a sculpture, a painting, a drawing, could be anything, an image that you've created. That's all it means. Okay. And, and the reason that there's a prohibition against making an image of God is because it's limiting because if I say God looks like this, or God's a man, or a God, you know, a God's a woman, or God's this, or God's that, as soon as you make God something, you're you're making a mistake. You're you're the mystery is no longer available to you because you're imposing something on it, and you can't do that. There's something deeply psychological about understanding God abstractly, and as soon as you start, the, the Taoists did the greatest job of this because they said that which the Tao that can be spoken of is not the real Tao. The moment you say Tao is this, you're wrong. You're fucking up. And it's something about that. When you contemplate the mystery of God, you have to be clear-minded. You can't impose form. You can't impose ideas, concepts. You know, just like, you know, when we were talking to Daniel in the early days, Daniel Torden, and he said, um, did you always imagine God as a being, as an as a anthropomorphic being? Like, yeah, well, that's kind of the picture that is painted when you're a kid. But the moment you think of God as a being... Just that level of abstraction, you're already fucking up. So that, is there something like that that's behind no graven images of, of God? Well, that's confusing in some ways, especially from a Christian or Orthodox point of view, because God manifested himself in a human being. Mm-hmm. So obviously there was an image because there was a person at some point in time. That's a good point. So, um, yeah, I just don't... Uh, like. Nobody ever bring, nobody ever brings that up. That's a good that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's an important point. Like God God was human. So it's funny because I think even just the framing of it as a, like the person of Jesus being a graven image. It's an image, not a graven image. Yeah. But it is an image. So I don't know maybe that maybe that makes a difference. Yeah. It's it's impermanent, you know. Sorry man. So the church is beautiful. Yeah. People take it very seriously. Was there genuflecting going on like Catholics do? Were they kneeling and kneeling and um, so not in the same way that you see it in Catholic services? Like you see in Catholic services, there will be like certain times where like everyone get you know kneels. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that's not how it was. Um, so I go in and I'm sitting there and watching these people like kissing the icons and going around and lighting their candles and there's like tons of icons like. I don't, I mean, if I had to guess, I would say 50, you know? Were, were they like old? or Middle-aged. Some of them were old. Um, oh, the icons? The icons, yeah. Um, I couldn't tell okay. um, if they could have been older, um, but they were very well maintained. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, these people obviously love and cherish and take take this stuff seriously so they're they're taking care of these things well, the reason i <clears throat> i ask is if you could tell how old they are is that uh, I, I saw the story about a temple that's opening up or maybe it did open up somewhere near here mm. it's a hindu temple mm. which is cool i'd love to, i'd love to go uh, but they brought statues from india oh wow to furnish the temple so they have this brand new building and inside of it they have thousands of year of year old statues that's something about them being old, something about them having been like worshipped for, for that long is so like powerful and strange, man. Yeah. Like I remember having that feeling at the Cincinnati Museum of Art 
the first room you walk into, or the second room you walk into, is full of Egyptian and Greek artifacts. And right in front of you is a statue of the goddess um, Sekhmet. And it's like a, it's like a black stone statue of a woman, mm. life size, maybe a little bigger. And you go up and you look in the face, and it's like a cat's face with like the headdress on. And I'm looking into the eyes of the statue that I know for thousands of years ago, people were bowing down to it. And it's just like makes it just like it, it, it's like an awe feeling, but it's also eerie. Maybe it's eerie because it, it seems like it's like another foreign god. You know what I mean? It's like you come face to face with this foreign god from, you know, time immemorial. It's weird, man. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but you couldn't tell if the paintings or, the, or whatever were, were particularly old? Yeah, I couldn't tell. They very well could have been, okay. um, but I'm not sure. Something about them being old makes, to me, just makes them more, it makes them more something. It makes or them more something. holy. I don't know what. Yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. Um, I would assume that they are not like brand new, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I don't think they like bring not, out new ones every week or anything. It wasn't macaroni art from the kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but in a Protestant church, that those are the images you would see, right? You'd see macar- like macaroni that. art of Moses, you know. Yeah. Um, it in a Protestant church, I feel like you're more likely to come across like a Thomas Kincaid painting. Yeah, um, you know who Thomas Kincaid yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Terrible. I do not. I'm not a huge fan of that kind of art. Um, but so I'm sitting there. I'm watching these people do that. Eventually, um, you know, people are coming in. I would say at the the height of it, there were probably like 85 people there, um, and eventually. Uh, the service starts and there's not like um, it's not like the pastor comes up and is like alright we're going to get this going uh, there's just a chanting that starts and you can't see where it's coming from oh, shit. and it's in Russian oh, shit. and they're saying the same thing oh, I don't know what the thing is but they're saying the same thing over and over again did you learn it? can you give me a little no, bit? I, okay. it, it, no. <laughs> alright um, so there's this chanting going on and you know the people are as they're listening they you know they're crossing themselves um and like i said at first i was doing it when they did it just like trying to like be a part of it you know yeah um but eventually i just stopped because like i said i don't know the significance like it's it means nothing i'm yeah. just doing this thing did you when you stopped did you feel weird about stopping no not did really did anybody give give you no. the eyeballs okay right. no they so the people were not like overly welcoming um, but they also, it's not like I was getting dirty looks or anything like that. Um, so that was good. You know, I like, I didn't feel like they didn't want me to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so the chanting starts, you don't know where it's coming from. And the chanting it's so this was a long service. I was there for like basically three hours. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Um, so it's a long service there's a lot of chanting and then eventually like, so while the chanting is going on, there's this the priest. He's up in kind of the front left-hand corner of the cathedral. I still don't sanctuary, cathedral, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and people are going up to him, and he's doing something with them. I don't know what it is. And he, you know, they would stay with him for a few minutes, and then he they would leave, and then someone else would go up there. And that goes on for a while. Um, so that might have been like confession or something. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, it could be. Um, and the priest is old. 
he's uh he's an old man and you know he's wearing like like a robe you know yeah. like uh like more similar to something you would see in catholicism mm-hmm. um like a kind of an ornate robe and uh you know they're chanting and then eventually um so in, in the front of the cathedral there's like this wooden patrician this really ornate carved wooden patrician and it's got icons all over it too and it's got these three main doors and the entire time before like while the chanting is going on which like i said went on for quite a while uh there are people and they're carrying trays of bread back to the room behind that patrician and then they're like you know they'll stay there for a while and they bring them back and then they're like carrying more bread up there, and I don't. I assume that what's going on is that the because there's more than one priest. There's like the main priest, the old guy who was up there with the people going up to him. And then there's like a a more middle aged priest, um, and I assume that what's going on is that he's back there like blessing. That's the, what I would guess. The the bread. The yeah. uh, I don't know if it's unleavened or not. It looks it looks like it's got yeast in it. It yeah. looks like it's risen. <laughs> um, but so that's what I assume is going on. Yeah, yeah. They got they they, they must because because the the host has to be consecrated, right? And that's and I wonder if about the transubstantiation business. I don't know if the Orthodox Church believes that they they probably do that when the priest blesses the host, that's when it becomes the body of Christ. Before that, it's just bread. So yeah. that's probably he was back there doing some transfiguration on the uh, on the bread, turning yep. it into little Jesus bodies for all of the congregants to devour. Yep, um, which came later. Excuse me. The communion came later. Yeah, it was yeah. at the end of the service, basically. Um, so there's chanting, lots of chanting, um, the bread going back and forth, and eventually um, some people that I had seen out in the sanctuary in their like street clothes, uh, they come out from behind that thing, the, the wooden patrician and they've got like robes on themselves and they're carrying like candles and, you know, like large candles, like out in front of them. Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, kind of like a revolutionary war soldier would carry a banner kind of extended out in front of themselves. Gotcha. Um, and I would say that I think that there's, there were five, you know, young men who were doing that. And, uh, you know, two of them were carrying these, like, I don't know. Uh, it was like on a pole and the top of it was like, uh, it was very like, again, ornate. It was, I think it was probably brass. Yeah. Um, is it incense? No. Um, it was just like, uh, I, I don't know the best way I can think of to describe it is like a paddle, like a decorative. I mean, that's not what it is at all, but, um, it's like a, a flat circular thing on the end of a, oh. a a pole. That's weird, yeah. And uh so they you know, they bring out a podium and this like very large golden book, uh, which I think is the Bible. It must be I the don't Bible. Know. Yeah. Um and they're like treating you know, like they're treating this this golden book like it's um treasure, you know, like uh they're I, you know, like you go to a Protestant church and people are just carrying the Bible around, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, it's like just any, I mean, it's not just any book. I shouldn't say that, but 
it's like everything there. Like, um, everything symbolic. Yes. Yeah. There's like, everything is like, it's like highly imbued with meaning. Mm. Um, and they just like take everything so seriously. And, uh, and I think a good way when I say that, I'm not like trying yeah. to disparage them. No, no, no. I, I, I'm imagining every church I've ever been to the way that the Bible is treated. Well, there's, they're, they're common, they're mundane, mm-hmm. they're beat up and shoved in the back of the pews. And, mm. uh, that's how that's how we treat everyone gets one no one they don't belong to anybody and they're not take well taken care of you know but in an orthodox church it's gilded and there's one and everybody's yeah, looking nobody at had it. one in the in the congregation it's, nobody had a bible that, it's a completely different symbolic meaning yeah it's really interesting yeah so they bring it out they put it on the podium and those guys who are holding the the paddle they like make like an arch above the priest holding those things and oh, he's wow. standing between them reading it Shit. i have no idea it's in russian again i have no idea what it says um so and then eventually the younger priest they open those three doors uh that are in the wooden patrician and he comes out and he's got you know like an incense thing and he's like swinging it and yeah. the smoke's coming out of it and he goes all around the uh you know cathedral uh, he walks all around it and it smells interesting it smells i don't know almost like soap mm. is uh is how i would describe it um and then he goes back into the the little, I don't know, holy area where all of the stuff, you know, the, where the the golden Bible is, where uh, the cup that they do the communion is for, is back there. Uh, there's like, uh, there's quite a few things back there. And he's doing it back there. And you can see that that area is just like full of incense smoke, you know. Um, and... You know, he reads from the that guy, the younger priest reads from a Bible, and I think some of that was in English. Hmm. But sorry, man, I just got this vision of uh, when you were talking about that room in the back when all the smoke back there of uh, Wizard of Oz when the when the um, wasn't there smoke pouring out of the I do not know place where the guy was hiding behind the, the curtain. Maybe don't remember. And do you think those three doors represent um, the three crosses? The 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 Jesus was. Uh, crucified I, with the I think there's a lot of three imagery, mm. you know, the Trinity. Trinity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 good point. Um, I, if I had to guess, I would say it's more related to the Trinity, mm. um, but I don't know. Uh, so some of the reading and the chanting was in English, but they're still chanting, so it's really hard. I don't under, I like, the only reason I knew it was in English is because I'd be able to like make out one word, mm. like, oh, that was an English word, you know? Everybody's chanting in unison? No, it's basically there's like a choir, and um, that and there's like I think there was one person particularly who was doing most of the oh, chanting, okay. but sometimes it was like a choir situation. Gotcha. Uh, and there was like singing of um, there was like choir singing mm-hmm. too, um, you know, interspersed with the chanting. But the people, the congregation, some of them were singing, but it's not like. You know, in Protestant churches, they make a big show of singing. Yeah, you know, and it's I've not never like been that. keen on that, man. Yeah, um, it depends. You know, I like the singing of hymns in Protestant churches, like good old fashioned Protestant churches, more than I like, you know, like Hanson. You know, at a church, yeah. I hate that. Yeah, me too. That me is too. just not for me, man. Electric guitars at church, no, no, I'm with you. I'm not with you. for me. But so many people like like that. I know, man. It's God, weird, man. Um. So, 
you know, like, it's hard for me to really say what's going on, like I said, because it's, it's in Russian, and I just don't know. Uh, but eventually, we get to the point where they're doing the communion, everyone lines up, um, they go up there, um, they give them the wine from a spoon, you oh, know? Okay. Like, uh, same spoon every time, it's not like it's a disposable plastic spoon yeah. for everyone. Yeah. Um, did you, did you take communion? No, okay. no. Uh, I don't think they would have let me, honestly. Um... But yeah, that was that was basically it. Did did the service was it sung? Yes. Yeah. See, that's a weird thing I noticed in certain Catholic services. I wouldn't necessarily call it sung either. I would call it chanted. Oh, that's what you mean by that? Yeah. Where they're like, you know, Holy Mary, Mother yeah. of God, pray for us sinners. Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, and I mean, no disrespect, obviously, but yeah. yeah. Um, so, did you notice? Firstly. Was anybody dressed sluttily? No. Okay. Absolutely not. Ever, All the women had their heads covered. Really? Yeah. Have you ever noticed sometimes at church, like people want to wear their best clothes? Mm-hmm. But like I've noticed, especially in more recent years, that some people, modesties at church is like out the window. Yeah. They want to wear their best stuff. And if that's a short skirt, that's a short skirt, you know? Um, okay. So that's interesting. Did you notice any gossiping? Like, people hanging around afterwards and doing that whole thing? So the reason, like, if I would have gone to this place and they all would have been, like, chit-chatting with each other and, like, not talking to me, I would have maybe felt weirder about it. Hmm. They weren't talking to each other at all. Okay. Um, So did nobody introduce themselves to you, really? Nope. Not a single person. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. If I would have stuck around after longer, I feel like maybe that would have happened, but... I, you know, I had to leave. I had, you know, I didn't expect there to be there for three hours. So, oh yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> Look, man. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, man. So, uh, so what do you think that offers that you, the Protestant church you grew up in is lacking? What do you think is there that's it good? It seems real. Mm, what do you mean by it that? It seems like the people who go to prod and it, I feel like I'm insulting, like, I'm about to go to my parents' church, and I feel like I'm insulting their church um, by saying this, and I don't mean to. It's not, uh, it's not like, um, like I have any kind of animosity for them or anything like that, but when I go to this church service a little bit later today, I'm sure that they believe it's real, but they don't act like it. Mm There's not, um, the reverence isn't there. Mm. The, uh, well, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, what, what happens during a Protestant service that makes you feel like you're encountering the sacred? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. You, you it, I feel like you're going to a place with a bunch of people who are doing it because it's what they do on Sundays mm-hmm. or because. We got to get to the Olive Garden afterwards. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's like it's just routine for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's like, well, I got to go do this, you know. And I do feel like with the Orthodox service, there is an element of you're standing the entire time, mm-hmm. and it's three hours long. It's an ordeal. It's yeah, and it's like it's not easy, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so there's something to that, mm-hmm. like the, I'm, but I think it's like the attitude, you know, like the, uh, when you, 
like in a Protestant church, everyone's real friendly with each other a lot of the time, yeah. you know. Um, and I think that there's just something to the, um, yeah, that this is going to be an ordeal. I'm going to go make an effort. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go show appreciation for God. I'm going to go, you know, um, I'm going to cut time out of my life to worship God. Mm. And it's not going to be, it's not about being fun. You know, I was going to say it's not fun, but that's not the point of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, Um, whereas Protestantism church services, it's, you know, everyone's real chummy, you know, Um, and I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with that, but there's a seriousness that I think Mm. is not there. I see that. I see that. Yeah, I mean, there are certain things that should be taken seriously, and your uh, encounter with the sacred, I mean, I can hardly imagine one that you would want to take more seriously. Yeah. But for the same reason, uh, I, for the same reason, I, I feel like an encounter with the sacred should be a solitary experience, and that's part of my resistance to church. It's like your experience of God is a personal experience. And it, it almost seems like it's, this is this goes back to an argument or not an argument but a conversation we had uh, recently. Um, I feel like you encounter God within yourself, and I think there's parts of my experience that are pulling me to see God in the world. You know, mm-hmm. so maybe it's like you know getting together <clears throat> getting together with other people is also a way to encounter God. I don't want to write that off, but it just always seemed very personal to me, um, and that's part of my resistance to doing worship with other people. It's like, ah, man, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's like tripping with other people. If that makes sense. People, people like tripping with other people. <sighs> Boy. Uh, I don't necessarily. <laughs> not me, man. In the past, I've not, I mean, you know, I have in the past and it's been okay, but there's, there's, there's something that you said when you were describing the church about the, the guys that are carrying the, the poles with the fans on the end, paddles, <laughs> yeah. and how they held them over the the priest, you know, at some point in the service with the, with the golden Bible. It's like so much about what you were describing paints these weird pictures in my head. And this is, I don't mean any disrespect by this at all, but it, what, what it brings to my mind are the images on tarot cards. Mm. So you can imagine these two acolytes holding these brass or gold things above a priest in a robe with a golden Bible. Put that picture that on a fucking tarot card. It's like there's some meaning in that image that you that's symbolic and you have to you can uncover it. And so much about religion is like that. It's a it's a it's a seeking and a and a revelation and. I think images are super important for that. They're super important for that. And until I had my mystic experience back in 2018, I didn't see these images as much. I didn't think in images as much. And uh, they're contemplative, man. You see an image, you're like, what is that? What does it mean? What could it mean? What does it mean to me? You know. And there's so much about that internal digging around that's fucking spiritually important. And so much of what you described in the Orthodox Church, not just the icons, but even the... The, the guy walking around with the incense, uh, mm-hmm. shaking the incense. So so many of those images, it's like you can just take a snapshot of it and you can meditate on it. And there's some meaning that can be found there. And that doesn't exist in Protestant church beyond the cross that hangs behind the altar that you're staring at the whole time. Yeah. 
And it's only that. Yep. Um, even, I would say even down to the priest. And again, I feel like I'm insulting the pastor of my mom's church. Um, but, and, and hopefully he doesn't ever listen to this because, you know, uh, it's, I don't know. If you're... If your position is to be a spiritual leader, this is probably not a great thing to hear. Um, but there's just like, I mean, I didn't even talk to the priest, you know, at this mm -hmm. Orthodox church. But there's like a gravity, you know, like uh, he seems like a learned man, mm -hmm. you know, like a guy who's devoted his entire life to this. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the times, uh, I mean, I've had protestant preachers who did seem to have some kind of gravitas to them but barely you know uh they kind of just seem like um you know the alpha of the, of that era you know yeah. like he's uh there's nothing particularly special about him other than the fact that he's like you know he's got charisma so he's the guy who goes up there you know um Maybe he's got, like, particularly good knowledge of the Bible and stuff like that. Um, you know, I've had I've had preachers in the past who definitely were very knowledgeable about the Bible and things like that. But I've also had some that didn't seem like they were particularly, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so I got one other question that I want to run by you. So this is, like, a legitimate concern. In fact, it's one of the reasons that Protestants exist at all. Is when you describe this service, there's a couple things that come to my mind. Everything's ornate. Mm -hmm. The robes, the gold, the incense. People don't realize incense in historically was very, very expensive. Very expensive. Yeah. That's why Jesus was brought frankincense and myrrh and yeah. gold because frankincense was like gold, you know? Yeah. So you've got all this, what I would might call pomp, decorations, um, the Protestants saw that, especially in the Catholic Church with like the priests wearing all the gold rings and getting drunk on the communion wine and living better than everybody else. I, I, there's a line there. And, you know, maybe the Orthodox aren't as guilty of it as the Catholics were in the Middle Ages or whatever. But they definitely aren't. I mean, you look at look at the fucking Vatican. Oh, yeah. It's a castle. What do you think about presenting the religion with that level of frill and pomp versus bare bones like you see in a Protestant religion? Um. I think that there's something I, I can understand why people would be like you don't need that mm -hmm. but I also think that there's something to like the ritual aspect of it that For makes sure. it um, it makes it seem uh, to an outsider who doesn't know I'm sure that they have their reasons and like if you talk to like Jay Dyer he could probably explain this stuff way better than mm -hmm. uh, obviously he could explain it way better than I could but um they're definitely the ritualistic element of, of all of those things makes it seem like it has I don't know just more weight more um, you know it's to be taken serious yeah so you know what you know what comes to my mind when you say that is when do you ever experience awe yeah. in a Protestant church never 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 and awe is the fundamental religious intuition people who feel awe are in awe of something. And Jordan Peterson does a great job of talking about how um, biologically that feeling, he, there's a word for it, but I can't remember it because whatever. But you know when a cat sees a predator and its hair stands up on its back? Mm -hmm. that, that 
physiological thing is the same thing that we experience when we experience awe. Mm. It's being in the presence of something greater than you. Now, if you're a cat and you're in the presence of a predator, something that has you, your life in its hands, that gives them that feeling, that, that hair standing up feeling. That is the same feeling we feel when we walk up to a cathedral or we stand at the base of a mountain and we look up at it and we feel small and we're like, fuck. That awe feeling to be encountering something greater than yourself is so important to religious intuition and spiritual enlightenment and all that. It's so fundamental. The more you can experience awe in your life, the better. And you get that from a cathedral. It's designed to evoke that. Yep. There's value in that, man. The Protestants need to fucking realize that. There's some serious value in that. Yeah. I, to be honest, I think that there probably is value in... Well, I, I know that there is, and I also think that it's not absent from orthodoxy the ascetic thing you know mm -hmm. like they you go to a monastery and that's what it is like they're very bare bones mm -hmm. uh these monks there's no frills they're not wearing an ornate robe they're wearing a sackcloth thing with a rope belt right. you know right. um so i think that there's value in both and yeah. i just think that um i don't know this uh, you know I think that the orthodox version is more complete, to be honest with yeah. you, because they have both elements of it. I agree. I agree. I also think that some of what you described with the orthodox service reminds me of paganism. And I wonder if that's not part of why it's more powerful. They're using the things that paganism used. Symbolism was hugely important in paganism. That's what idols are all about. Well, these... Yeah, I mean... So the way you say it makes it seem like these things have been adopted into Christianity as a way to make Christianity more powerful. Um, I don't know if I would say as a way to make Christianity more powerful. I would say to continue with the religious tools that the, that the priests had at their disposal it's it's not a matter of inserting it into christianity it's a matter of overlaying having christianity overlaying the existing you know religious structure yeah you know see i mean the orthodox church uh from what i understand is the continuation of Judaism from the the Old Testament. You right. know, it's uh, it became Christianity with Christ. Uh, and one thing I hear people say frequently is that the Orthodox Church is uh, the spiritual Israel. It's not, you know, the genetic Israel, but we are spiritually Israel is mm. what they say. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of that probably comes directly from Judaism. You know, like a lot of that, uh, you know, I, I oh, yeah. mean, you wouldn't call Judaism paganism, but you know what I mean? Well, that's another, that's <laughs> that's another conversation. Are, yeah. Um, but a lot of that uh, ritual and stuff like that comes right out of Old Testament Judaism, yeah, which is absolutely. completely different than modern Talmudic, Judy, uh, you know, rabbinical Judaism. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you think about it, uh, the ancient Jews had the Holy of Holies. They had a temple like like pagans, like all the pagans lived around them. Mm -hmm. Even though they only worshiped one God, they had this temple and they did sacrifices just like the pagans all around True. them. True. That's and, very similar. And yeah. And inside the temple, there were all sorts of rules and rituals and things like you're describing and robes and priests. And mm -hmm. they had the whole the whole thing. 
And lately, uh, Daniel Torden has been uh, digging into, on the Onion Unlimited podcast, um, the origins of um, Yahweh and uh, the Jewish tradition. And that shit has been super interesting because he's been he's been getting deep in it and talking about how the God El, you know, the God El is a Canaanite God. Mm-hmm. And at the time before the the you know the, the the Hebrews existed in the kingdom of Israel and Judea, El was worshipped as part of a pantheon, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's evidence even that Yahweh was the son of El, a different god altogether. And um, anyway, there's tons of reasonable evidence that the Hebrews were originally polytheistic people like the Phoenicians and the, and the Babylonians and the Canaanites and uh, all those people that lived in that area and even and even borrowed their gods from other these other cultures and they they, they all change of course over time and the Jews became a monotheistic culture different from everyone else but the origins of Judaism is polytheistic paganism and there's almost I want to say there's almost no arguing that and that's interesting. How do you you got to come to terms with that, man. It's like the Jews made God one. That doesn't mean that God wasn't always one. I would argue God was always one. But we had to get there. Yeah. You know, there was a series of developments that had to get us there. And that's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. It's like the journey of coming, of getting up to speed uh, with the idea of God. You know, coming up to, with a more and more true definition understanding of what that is and the whole process of development took us from stone age religion which i have known nothing about but it's fascinating to me all the way through to modern monotheism yeah you know it's like we discovered we discovered god we had to work it out and that's interesting man i mean there's a there's a way of understanding that is you could you could take that to mean we made god up and i don't mean that i just mean we we had a existential fact that we didn't understand like lots of things mm-hmm. and god is the idea that we most don't understand it's the most ununderstandable concept and we've been chipping away at that for a hundred thousand years it's amazing yeah like why it's <coughs> a good question i uh yeah i don't know it's uh i wonder is it something that we discovered? Is it something that we, like... Invented or discovered? Well, I don't think it's something that we invented. I, I don't really give that much credence at all. Um, but what am, I, what, am I, what is the best way to say what I'm thinking? Um, is it something that, like, we turned over stones and discovered? Or is it something that was, like, revealed to mm-hmm. us? Boy... Um, that's a good question. Well, I mean, like, I can, I can only use myself as an example, and I can see it both ways. Um, I can see that I was lifting, lifting up stones, mm-hmm. you know, because I was, like, studying other religions and asking questions, and I did what you did. I went to a Lutheran church. I went to a mosque. You know, I, I did a whole bunch of that stuff, and uh, I was clearly searching for, for things, and I was gathering information. I was making, you know, forming my own opinions about things. Uh, but it only got me so far. And then I had a revelation, you know? Yep. And my revelation was, I mean, if I had to explain it, I would say that it was internal. I don't, I don't think that it 
that Hermes flew down from Olympus and, and whispered in my ear. I don't believe there was a, you know, a burning bush and God spoke to me exactly. I believe that that revelation came from me. It was, it was always there, but I needed something supernatural, uh, quote unquote supernatural to get me there. And in my case, it was a psychedelic experience, but it, it doesn't have to be a psychedelic experience. And this is something I wanted to ask you about too. It's like, you know how we talked about psychedelic experience maybe being a shortcut to mm-hmm. to that kind of enlightenment and that if it comes too easy that maybe we should be suspicious of it and you know there might be reasons to go the hard route yeah and uh you know I agree with that and when I was talking about awe earlier and I said if you go into a if you go into a cathedral and it's designed to make you feel awe you walk in it's like a shortcut to the awe you walk into the temple, to the cathedral, you look up at the spires, this huge towering ceilings, all that intricate woodwork, the designs, the geometry, the sun coming through the lights, you know, through the stained glass, and it's amazing. And you're like, oh, it's a shortcut to that feeling. But if you go back to your aesthetic example, the monk in the desert with a cloth for, for clothes and he's eating nothing but, you know, gruel, gruel all day long. Yeah. That person is going to struggle to find anything that's not painful and mundane. In order for them to have an awe experience, they have to dig so deep into themselves that they find God there. Yeah. And then they're like, oh. and that's harder, way harder than walking into a cathedral and going, this was designed, I, you know, when you cross that threshold, you were, you were 99% of the way there. Do you think that is a fair comparison to the psychedelic mystic experience versus some harder earned religious one? Like is the cathedral and the, uh, the way that the church, that the services are done and the pomp and all that, is that designed as a shortcut to get you to that awe experience, the same way psychedelics are designed as a shortcut to get you to an ego death experience. Maybe, yeah. I mean, it could easily be. Um, does that take away from it for you? Does it make? Does it seem like cheating because you made it? Because you made it out like the psychedelic experience might be cheating. So that's what I want to ask you. I would just say the reason that I don't think it's cheating is because there is a gigantic difference between you know, three big hits of DMT and walking into an Orthodox cathedral. Huge, huge difference. How about one shot of DMT and then go into the Orthodox cathedral? I don't know. That might be, <laughs> that might be uh, you know, comparable, but I, I don't know. Can you imagine sitting in on a three-hour service like you described mm-hmm. um, on mushrooms? I, will, I don't. I, no, I can't imagine that. Uh, <laughs> Like, if you could keep your composure during it, do you think it would be amazing? Or do you think it... I don't know. Do you think it would add to it or take away from it? I don't have a hard time seeing it doing either, to either be honest one. with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably right, yeah. Um, I don't... I'm just picturing the sun coming through the stained, stained glass windows. Yeah. On mushrooms. Like what, what must that be like? Probably pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I don't know if it's a shortcut necessarily, but maybe it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like an enhancement, you know? Listen, I think it's a shortcut, and I think shortcuts are fine. I just don't, uh, I, it, do you, the reason I don't think it's a shortcut is because of what I just said, and that, like, you, you have to understand what I'm saying, that like, a big dose of psychedelics is way different than walking into a church. 
Sure. Hugely, hugely different. Sure. But if your goal was to have an awe feeling, just an awe feeling, not to blast off into another dimension, then you're not, you're not comparing three huge hits of DMT. You're comparing, let's say, a, re, a, a reasonable a microdose of, of mushrooms, and you could be perfectly fine and go about your working day. You know, you're not blasting off. That, that's, a, that's a more fair comparison. If you want to, want to have an all experience, do a little bit of LSD and play with your kid. You're going to have an all experience. Sure. You know? Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I get mixed feelings about the shortcut thing because I do understand that something that's hard-earned is... We were just talking about this when you said you had to stand for three hours, and I called it an ordeal. Mm-hmm. What I meant by that is that that's what religious ceremonies have always been historically. They've been ordeals. Um, you know, like... Uh, bring up the stupid example but the Leonidas 300 example where uh, the kid is having his um, rite of passage and he gets thrown out of the community and he has to survive in the winter and he has to hunt the wolf right and he comes back with the wolf's pelt that's what religious experiences have been ordeals not easy well psychedelic experience is an ordeal not easy that's that's a true statement man psychedelic experiences are an ordeal and it's something like Maybe not a great parallel, but something like standing on your feet for three hours, going through the motions with everybody else, being exhausted when you're done. Um, I have a memory of going hunting with my dad, and I was a fat kid. You know I was a fat kid. And we were, like, walking up and down these hills, and I was fucking exhausted, you know? I just wanted to go home, you know? And uh, when we finally get to the spot where we're going to sit down... And I'm so grateful to just be sitting down, catching my breath. And I remember, I've told you this story, I'm sure before, but I remember looking down and seeing the lichen popping out of the snow. You just mm. saw this green life coming up out of this frozen white death. And the contrast between the green and the white and the fact that I had all these endorphins in my brain from all the exercise I just did that I wasn't used to doing, you know. And I'm sitting there getting rest. And I felt high, I, you know. I was a kid, so I didn't know what that meant. But I felt I had this spiritual sort of experience with nature and I remember it vividly and I'm talking about it like right now like it was an important experience I remember it because I was tired I remember it because it was hard not because it was it was a beautiful experience of nature I have tons of beautiful experiences of nature I can't recollect Mm -hmm. I remembered it because it was an ordeal and that's what you described when you when you talked about how committed that you have to be to take cut a huge chunk of time out of your weekend and stand for three hours. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Would you agree that psychedelics is an ordeal in that way? Or do you? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Not all the time, but sometimes. It can be for sure. And when they are, they're more meaningful. I think so. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, I, I think you're right about that. Because um, there's, there's you can definitely see it as a shortcut, and I definitely can question whether that's the right way. But then I can easily also see it as an ordeal, just on a ball by itself. Is it a shortcut or is it an ordeal? It's kind of both, man. I don't know if it matters. Seems like it should, but I don't know if it matters. Whether it's hard-earned or whether it comes easy. Hmm. I my general intuition is to say that it does matter. 
Yeah. Um, maybe I, you know, maybe it doesn't matter to the point where, you know, the ordeal that is not hard earned is not worth anything. You know, that's not what I'm necessarily saying, but I do think that in the long run, the ordeal that is hard earned is probably more meaningful. It's definitely more memorable. I'll tell you, I'll give you that. Yeah. So, so much of our experience just blends into the black and you just don't need, you can't even recollect it anymore. It like requires pain and sacrifice. And, you know, the older you get, the more it's, it's strange, man. Um, how, how much of the working week just disappears in my memory, you know, yeah. week after week after week after week of fucking nothing. Yep. Nothing. It's not, that's not the way to live, man. It's not good. Then I, I went, I went to the swimming pool with my girls yesterday and uh, I just had this nice moment, man, where like, didn't like sometimes like raising kids is a fucking, it's hard, man. It's a labor. And, uh, you know, we all get resentful about that from time to time. It's like, I'd much rather be doing something other than, you know, t- trying to, trying to get you to stop crying and go to bed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but we were at the pool and there was this moment of time where I wasn't, I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel like the burden of responsibility. I was just playing with my kids and it was so good. Like I wasn't like having fun like I like I'm at a concert, I, but I was like enjoying myself more, you know. And I'll remember that that like two hours at the swimming pool yesterday. I'll remember that for a long, long time because it was meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I just think we need to find more ways of making more of those things happen in our lives so that our lives are more memorable. You know, yeah. if if for anything else, so that your years don't turn into black. You know. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's kind of a bummer, man. <laughs> I bet you you're gonna remember this this church service you went to, even if you oh, never go my... back. No, I'll go back. That's my yeah. That's my next question for you. Are you would you go back to that church? Would yeah, you go 100%, to another? I'll go back to that church. Um, are you going to like try to learn Russian? Um, I maybe I don't know. Probably not. Um, because. I would have to be like, I guess maybe I could learn the Russian that is in the service. Yeah. Um, That'd be cool, man. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. Do you know Alexander Dugan? I do. Okay. Um, there's a guy who you also know. His name is um, Millerman. Michael Millerman? Yeah. Um, he, I think he wrote a book on Dugan. I think he's translated many Dugan works yeah. and things like that. Yeah, he, he has that university online university that he does, mm-hmm. and he has a course on Dugan. And I'm always seeing him pop up and talking about how important Strauss and Dugan are mm-hmm. um, to to well not not just to like Russia, but but to Russia and the in the political situation that we're dealing with and all that, but just like philosophically and and you know uh, not just limited to Russia, but just just the world. How important Strauss and Dugan are. Yeah. I don't Where did know. That I, come from? It just popped in my head. Just because Dugan's Russian. Yeah. 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 And he's it, all. I'm pretty sure he's also Orthodox. So. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. so. I mean, if you're a Christian in Russia, you're most likely Orthodox. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the museum? I heard you went to a museum. It was pretty sweet. Where'd you go? Uh, Oberlin College. Oh. What you was, know what was it like? What was the was it a, was the university co- uh, museum? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they have a. Uh, 
fine art museum, and it was uh, it's pretty sweet. I mean, you know, some old ass stuff there. What was the What was the most memorable thing? Um, I mean, there's a lot of memorable stuff. Didn't you Didn't you see some like really old Babylonian shit yeah, or yeah, something? That's, yeah, that that stuff was pretty memorable. I mean, they're only like, you know. Like the size of your hand, like those maybe, clay, maybe even smaller. Yeah, um, I don't think they're clay. I think they're like stone. They're carved out of stone. Oh, out of stone. Okay. Um, but yeah, they're they're like thousands of years old. That was pretty Man. sweet. Um, another thing that was memorable, not for good reasons. They have a like modern art <laughs> exhibit, and yeah. one of it, one of the exhibits is just like a crashed truck and a bunch of junk around it. Oh God! And it's just like. I just don't fucking get how, like, beautiful paintings and those, like, stone things from 4,000 years ago um, are in the same building as this, like, crashed Dodge Ram truck with, like, a stop sign and, like, a boot. And, you know, it's just, like, uh, I just don't get it. And when it was me and Chelsea there, and when we were looking at it, there was this guy who was with his kids, and he was like, explaining to the kids he was like you know it, it's it's all just a bunch of junk but when it comes together it's like and i just want to be like you're fucking poisoning your kids mm-hmm. minds man this is it this is just a bunch of junk um you know i i i believe that there's some kind of message that the artist is like trying to convey mm-hmm. with the junk yeah but that message is probably bullshit. Yeah. I don't know what the mess... I don't understand how you're supposed to derive a message from a pile of garbage. Consumerism, man. Consumerism, it's man. Not, yeah. But but you know what? There's another thing that... Like, I, I know what you mean, man. I am not a fan of modern art. It's fucking I'm stupid. not a fan of abstract art, mostly. But, um, like, I remember the... I don't know who the, who the artist was, but there was, it was, like, one of the first dudes that did this. Um, it was a abstract art exhibit, like what you're talking about, mm-hmm. and it was a toilet. Oh, or a urinal or something, yeah. and, and that's what it was. It's just, it was on the wall in the museum, and it's like it's not a urinal; it's art, and there's no explanation for it. But here's the thing, man: do some mushrooms, <laughs> do some mushrooms, and go and, look at a toilet, and go look at that pile of junk. You're gonna be like the colors, Duke. The colors, you, you know, that will be beautiful to you. Yeah, maybe. So if you can find beauty in a pile of junk, is that is that worthwhile? You know? You um, can see beauty in a pile of junk? Because it, it reminds me of the my challenge, personal challenge, which is to see God in everything, even the shitty people, even the, you know what I mean? Like somebody who can see God in shitty people, like Mother Teresa did, or, or somebody who can see beauty in a pile of junk, is there, is there value in that? Maybe. I don't know. I'm just not, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not willing to sift through the junk for the meaning. Um, I think people- In some ways, I'm willing to do that. When it comes to modern art, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just not interested. Yeah, yeah. I think people fail to see beauty all around them all the time because we're so used to it. So there's something about that that I agree with. I'm like, yeah. You know, if you can, if you can take existence more seriously, if you can... Uh, just take a second to pay attention to the fucking sunset. Just do it, man. Just pay attention to the shadows in, in the in the trees. Pay attention to little little things that you ignore all the time. And when you do, you're going to be like, "Fuck, that's beautiful." And you're just surrounded by it. Now, I don't know why beauty is a positive thing. I don't know why it pro- it produces 
such a good feeling in us when we experience beauty. That's a whole other mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have their entire philosophy and entire like religion surrounding aesthetics. Like, like God is beauty and everything beauty, you know, like, like to me, that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. I, I you know, but I do, I do understand <coughs> that seeing beauty all around you because it is there. Recognizing it is something like worship. It's something like, like appreciation is something like worship to me. Yeah. Being grateful, you know, and a part of that I learned from Anne Rice, man. Yeah. Part of that I learned from reading Anne Rice. I wonder what she would think about that because she was, she's dead, right? Anne Rice. I don't think so. Yeah, maybe not. Sorry, Anne. I didn't. Mm. I didn't mean to do that to you. Uh, <laughs> but she's a super. She's a super lefty. Um, I imagine she's an atheist. I know she had that. I think she is an atheist. Remember when she started writing those uh, books about Jesus? No. She. Had like, I mean, vaguely, but not really. She had like a moment where she became religious, and then she went back on it. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't remember that aspect of it. But the point is, Anne Rice will take forty pages to describe a scene. You know. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. It's like it can be a real drudge to read Anne Rice, but when you read her, there's a picture being painted and you fucking see it. And the way she describes things made me appreciate things because mm-hmm. she might say something like, you know, talk about the the way the dewdrops rolled off of the piece of grass or something, and I'm like, fuck, dewdrops on grass is beautiful. <laughs> so I never, you know, I never realized that until somebody painted it that way, and she made me see it was that. It was reading Anne Rice, and it was one service at your church when we were kids where the pastor was talking about how people only ever pray to God (laughs) for things that they want. Yeah. And people fail to thank God for what they have. And it was that service as a kid. That was the only service I can remember growing up that made any sort of lasting effect on me. Isn't that weird? That is weird. And it was Pastor fucking P. And oh yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So his service that one day and Anne Rice together helps me to be grateful. Yeah, isn't that isn't that weird? That is weird. He said uh, something that Roland always brings up is that he, that guy, Pastor Pre- Pastor P, uh, pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, would apparently talk with God while he was shaving. He would pray while he was shaving, and he said that God talked back. Yeah. Um, which is pretty interesting. Uh, like he was in conversation with God. Wow. Um, and he also said that he's not tempted to sin. Yeah, I don't know about that. That's but a the, bold claim. You know, the older you get, the older the older True. you get, the less the those biological uh, factors are. True. Are you know what I mean? Something about chemicals in your brain but also something about developing discipline over a lifetime so maybe there's some truth to that i don't know yeah i mean i i'm not really making a claim about it one way or the other other than that it is it's like whoa (laughs) like you really you don't feel temptation to sin anymore even jesus was tempted to sin you know (laughs) taken to the desert and tempted um Uh, but he also only lived to be 33 so you know (laughs) if uh jesus had lived to be 60 Let's talk about the God talking to God stuff for a second. All right, uh, I do have to leave fairly soon. Yeah, all right. We'll just do. We'll just. This will be the last bit. All right. We got two minutes. Oh, um, we we got more than two minutes. I don't think I can't imagine having a conversation like you and I are having with God. Like, oh, hey, God. Yeah. What's up, man? 
How you, how's your day? Uh, did you know I had this problem? Of course you do. How, how should I go about Like, I can't imagine yeah. having a conversation with God. But I did, after, after, some, at what, after my mystic experience, but after even a little while beyond that, it took some time, I did start to think about times when I was in chaos, as Jordan Peterson would say, times when I uh, had lost some fundamental order and I was in chaos and I was, I had like, whatever, a heartbreak, um, a life-changing situation imposed on me, you know, some challenge that I couldn't overcome. And, uh, you know, you're like beating yourself up, you know, laying down at, at night, trying to sleep and you're beating yourself up. Uh, <laughs> and I found times like that where I'm like, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do about this goddamn thing? And then part part of me in the back of my head says, "How about this, you fuck?" And you know, and it's like somebody is providing an answer. It's like when I ask, and that's what Jesus said, you know, uh, ask, uh, ask and it shall be given. Not you know, knock and it shall be opened. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, "What do I do? What do I do?" And then I will propose to myself, "How about this? You might try that." You know, that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. And until I, until recently, I thought of that as empty nonsense in my head. I thought, I thought about that as some kind of like um, simulation, right? Like I'm playing out scenarios to try to f- see what the, what, what, what's the best likelihood of success? You know what I mean? Like some kind of a simulation that I'm running in my head. And now I think about that as a conversation with God. Yeah. I think about that as asking a question to the universe and somehow having an answer. That's that's my take on a conversation with God. Yeah. A conversation with yourself. And the and you 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 know this if you ever have ideas where you're like, aha, you have a, a eureka moment or you have an idea that surprises you. Because that's the question, man. How can your idea be a surprise to you? You ever have an, a thought like that where you're like, damn, that's good. You know, where'd it come from? If it's if your own idea surprises you, there's a fucking mystery there. What do you mean it, your own idea surprises you? Because it's not your idea exactly. It's a conversation with God. That's what I'm trying to say. What do you think of that? Um, it makes sense to me. <laughs> you, you you elaborated very well. I no. don't know. You know. Um, yeah, that's that's. I don't think that if that is what Pastor Pretty meant by I have conversations with God that he's like literally having this kind of a conversation with God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't mean to insult a, hol- a holy man, but I think he was lying. Yeah. Um, so I'm not 100% sure that he did mean that he didn't say it to me, so I can't be sure. Um, but I tend to agree with you. I think that you have to, one thing that is important is that you have to, and eh, so the way that you kind of framed it is that you've got these problems and that you are like thinking about them. And then you'll have this like voice, you know, from the, the depth of your mind say, what about this? Um, and that does happen. That is, you know, that is definitely something that happens. Uh, but I also think it is important to like consciously talk to God. You know, not not to have it be a conversation with yourself, um, because, you know, we, we have like a, we're a, there's like a, a, a schism between us developing in that you think that God is us and everything and that there's really not any kind of separation. 
and I am much less certain of what I believe, but I tend to believe that there is definitely some sort of separation. Yeah. Um, so I do think that it is important to like consciously talk to God mm. to bring to bring your concerns to God. Well, I'll tell you what, if I'm having a conversation with myself, like I just described as a teenager, sure. Um, and I'm, I, and I understand it as a conversation with myself. I'll never be able to hear the answer as God's voice. Yeah. I'll hear it as my own bullshit. So to have a conversation with God is deliberate. And if I'm having that conversation with myself, mm-hmm. and I don't think of it as a conversation with myself, but as a conversation with, my, with the unconscious, as a conversation with God, then the answer I get is God's voice. Mm. So, so I, I can go with you there, I, absolutely. And maybe that's the explanation for why I didn't th- think of it as a conversation with God until 15 year, fucking years later. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I was going somewhere with that, but I... <laughs> Lost the thread? I don't know. It is important. It is important to talk to God. It is important if you're having those conversations with yourself to frame it as though the thing you're speaking to isn't isn't your yourself that you don't think much of, but is the creator of the universe. That's fucking powerful, man. I also think that if you are a type of person who has been an atheist or you you know maybe yeah, maybe you've considered yourself an atheist for a long time but you are like just becoming curious about that sort of thing. I think that talking to God is one of the best first steps that you can take. Mm. Just being open to it and like, just talk, you know, um, make a conscious decision that you're going to at least on your end, you're going to start saying things, you know, Mm. um, because it just opens you up to it. And, um, you know, yeah, I think that's a good place to start for a lot of people. And that's a good place to stop the podcast today, man. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, this is super interesting, man. I'm, I'll be curious to hear, if you go back to this church, uh, you know, how your thoughts and opinions change, Whether you, when you start making friends with people, when you start getting, like, the inside information about it. Because all the cultural stuff's interesting to me. Yeah. So I, I like to know all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I like, part of me, you know, I want to go over there and be like, so it's a Russian Orthodox church. I see that you're speaking Russian. Like, what do you think about what's going on? <laughs> exactly. But I feel like that's probably not good. Like, yeah, you not, know. not yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can make some friends for a little while first. All right, guys. Good chat. Adios. Thanks, man. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work, thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we track through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.